Hi, my name's Finn Glindo, and you're listening to me on Above and Beyond. Hi all, Mike Myers here with another episode of Above and Beyond, brought to you by the Reengineering Australia Foundation. Sure, you've heard of the term STEM education. It seems to be on everybody's lips. But like all good things, it's taken 20 years to get on everyone's lips. It's about bringing together science, technology, engineering, maths to break down the silos and to have students solve problems in context. Today's conversation is with someone who has a unique perspective on STEM, helped him change his career to become a teacher. Finn Galindo has a unique perspective on the value and capacity of STEM education to change lives. I'm sure that you will really enjoy the conversation with Finn. Finn, if you can give us a little bit of your history of where you started and where you came from and how you got involved in STEM... Sure, so um, when I was 10 actually I moved from England to Australia and once I got here I realised there was a lot of differences uh, between the cultures and the schooling systems and one of the things was there was all these amazing opportunities available to young people and there was this awesome competition that uh, I heard about at school called F1 in Schools and I um, basically, I guess, registered my interest, started to talk to students who were already involved, got kind of friendly with uh, the different uh, parties in, who are participating and then eventually competed at three separate uh, national events before finishing off my high school education. Since then, obviously, I've gone back to education and done my teaching degree. So you went from school to university? Yeah. yeah. I kind of, through some of my experiences, had a pretty clear idea of what I wanted to do and what I enjoyed doing and that hasn't let me down yet. So you have always had a passion for education? Well, I, I, I come from a family of engineers and uh, my father was very disappointed when I didn't choose to be an engineer directly. But I realised that I really, really uh, cared about helping other people find their pathways and working with young people to uh, find what they were interested in. And that was kind of this perspective I came from. Reedy was your teacher? Yes. Uh, yes Steve Reed. Um, and he got you going. What was the experience from a student's perspective? Um, I think from my perspective as a, as a student, uh, being involved in F1 in schools was not just uh, competing and learning, it was also being part of a culture and a family. And it was finding like-minded individuals who were interested in um, uh, you know, pushing themselves to the limits of what they could do. For the audience, maybe if you could explain the kinds of things that you're involved, because I gather everyone on your team has a different role and different responsibility. What was your mm. area of expertise or area of focus? Um, initially, I was really interested in the car design. I think everybody goes in with the idea that they can be a Formula One car designer. And then after a little while, I actually realised my passion was in helping people uh, find what they wanted to do and pushing them to do their best. So I became a team manager and uh, I was also then uh, human relations and marketing. A human relations and marketing is a big thing for a young person. How old were you when you started doing that? Uh, I think about 16. Yeah, it's actually what spurned me at that time to get into social media and, and look at how that affects things. And well, the impact of social media has certainly changed over the years. Uh, does it have a big role with kids now, how, now that you're dealing with kids? Yeah, for what's sure. What's the impact? Is it positive or negative? Um, I definitely see a lot of the positives because I leverage this technology in my classroom um, and I see the kids learning how to engage with it and not be used by it um, 
as really beneficial. I can imagine, though, that with the some environments, it doesn't work as well. So you definitely have to have that perspective. What's your perspective of F1 in schools now? Oh, well, it's definitely stepped up since when I did it, that's for sure, especially here in South Australia. What do you see children coming out of the process with? What's the value out of doing something like oh, this? There's so much to it. I think a lot of the students... When they get involved in F1 in schools or subs in schools, any of these um, industry-backed competitions, they really start to identify this linking between uh, what they put their time and energy into, into what they're learning and what they're getting out of it. I think often students, and I was one of these people when I was younger, have a perspective of you go to school because you have to. And once they realise that school is actually an opportunity for them to better themselves and, and find their feet in their path and their future, once they engage wholeheartedly with that, they get so much more out of it. And these competitions really unlock that opportunity. And kids engaging with real-life projects or real things, how, how much of an impact does that have on, on the way kids want to learn or engaging them into the learning process? Well, I think if you look at the school environment, kids go through 11 years of it, and if... They only ever hear perspectives from teachers. Um, then they feel like the you know the whole aim is for teachers to be there to help teach them, and, and they gain information from them and them only. They don't realise that actually there's the whole wide world out of there that wants them to do good at this. So when you get the industry involved, if you have uh, interested uh, engineers, you could have project management to people coming in and engaging with the students, and you know. With these kind of competitions, those people engage and go, wow, this is amazing what you're doing. Suddenly, it, lend, it creates a whole other dynamic with the kids. They realise what they're doing is actually you know, actually what happens in the real world. Do you think taking kids to industry or bringing industry to the kids is the most important? Taking kids to industry is definitely a real eye-opener. But I think when kids can see that people are willing to come and spend time with them, that that also makes them feel like they're not doing things that actually have a bigger meaning than just school. So bringing, bringing industry into the schools is really critical, yeah. So how long have you been teaching F1 or subs as a teacher? As a teacher, this was my fourth year. Have you seen dramatic changes in, in certain kids? Does it impact on all kids? Does it impact on some? Does it impact on boys yeah. or girls differently? Um, there's, there's loads of different facets to that, uh, Mike. So I think with... Um, so, for example, at Brighton, Brighton has a really big culture. It's been very successful at this competition. They have multiple classes that um, students can enrol in where they get to engage with this kind of industry and they get to engage with these competitions. And what kind of has occurred is that there are these students who have gone and competed and they've come back and they are the drivers for this learning and these spaces and the culture now. And they are kind of seen, you know, like a successful sports person within the school. And so for all these kids who are aspiring, that's someone they can look up to who's at their level or, you know, slightly older maybe. And so that has a huge ability to really excite kids in the opportunities that are available to them. Um, I think then if you compare that to, say, a new school that's just getting involved, that's probably the biggest challenge is building up that culture so I've just moved schools and that's my current challenge we've gone into these competitions for the first time at this school now there's definitely going to be over the next couple of years some culture to build up and I can see that already happening with the kids who have done this competition they're they're in their second day of a state final which you know compared to going to a nationals or a world is is at the very very beginning but already they're realizing what they would like to spend their time on going forward you know they're thinking oh I've got work placement coming up and I know now that I really want to go and try and get into this industry space and see what that's like. So there's so many benefits for these kids getting involved. Are there any particular students that stand out for you that you've worked with or worked worked alongside? Yeah, so I um, 
like I said, there's this amazing culture at Brighton that has been developed over many years with the hard worker Stephen Reed, as you said. And so we actually have an alumni group. The alumni group is, you know, something like 60 uh, to 70 people strong. And in that group, we've got people who are willing to come back in and talk to the kids. We've got people who are now working for Lockheed Martin or for Formula One teams overseas. Um, there are students who are studying law. Uh, medicine and all the rest there's a huge range of wealth of of knowledge and experience in that group of people but there's also this commonality which we all get together and catch up over these this shared interest so you know they can come back into the school and they can talk to these students and they uh, these inspirational people that young people can can see and look up to so there's many kids that i have seen develop and grow and, and find their interest area and run with it and that's probably my favorite thing is seeing when kids go i really enjoy this social media marketing aspect or this team leadership you know getting the timelines perfect making sure the resources are behind each every person in the team making sure that they have a process to to seek answers or support when they're unsure and that's a young person that's a 16 year old making those kind of calls saying this is what i need to do you know it's huge the way you talk about brighton it must be a remarkable learning environment i mean it really must be leading the world and having a culture of people who are coming back and working with the kids it makes the old boy network even stronger than one could ever imagine because it's a kids with a common shared interest not just the fact that they went to the school yeah for sure and i think um when you look at the kind of style of education that's going on there now there's a cross curricular and cross-disciplinary approach that is really reaping benefits where we've got uh, teachers in science or maths uh, or the technology space and they're all sharing they're all coming in and working with the group of kids in one environment and that obviously is very beneficial because again that lends that idea that we're not a siloed society we don't work on individual topics and only those topics we tend to have a lot of different commonality and understanding and knowledge coming in from different angles so trying to make that experience occur in a in high school and showing the kids that everything's interconnected is, is really key. Yeah, I see these kids that can maintain focus on a subject for hours here. I'm not sure. How does that rate? How does 40 minutes now rate or should we be changing that to be a bit more flexible? Yeah, I mean, I've been at a few schools which have different um, timetables, etc. And definitely when you've got the ability to really um, dig into a topic and, and explore it from different angles. You know, the science teacher talks about the physics behind a car moving down a track at 80 kilometres an hour. But then your technologist talks about how the stresses on the structural material is, you know, really critical and links it back in. That doesn't happen in 40 minutes easily. And breaking that apart really makes it hard to uh, then keep the kids' interest and, and engagement and, and remembering between it. So getting the longer class times is quite key, but also making sure that it's really relevant. Is this an option for class environments to be structured completely differently now? I think a lot of schools are, are looking at that. At the moment, there's a lot of conversation in South Australia because we're now bringing our Year 7 cohorts into the high school. So there's a lot of investment, there's a lot of uh, upskilling and, and teacher development going on to try and create you know, the best option uh, learning opportunities for these students coming in. And there's a lot of talk about that, whether or not uh, keeping a very, very structured uh, environment like a high school and just applying it to Year 7s is the right approach. And I, I think many schools are now finding that that's not key. And it's also opening the door for them to really review whether or not that approach to the senior years as well is the best way. So we're doing a quick review at the moment and we will probably not stick with that model and move to something more dynamic. There's lots of talk about the value of an ATAR and mm. kids chasing a number. Is ATAR, from your perspective, relevant or is it kids do better in another fashion if they're not driven just to chase one number, even if they're not going to go to university? 
I've always been a very goal-oriented person and I definitely found for a few years that, yeah, you know, your ATAR or your current grades were something that you always really pursue and you follow. What I found, especially now as a teacher, looking at the students and trying to counsel them and where they want to go forward is that, yeah, it isn't the be-all and end-all. Does it mean it's not relevant? I don't think so because definitely I benefited from a fast-track learning experience by having the correct ATAR and having a good university go to and, and finishing early and doing summer school etc so I think there's a relevance there but I think students really need to keep that in context about the fact that it's not the only label they have and there's a whole other range of learning experiences they can um, get while at school that will benefit them just as much as having a high ATAR you know that interpersonal communicational skills the ability to network the professionalism on online platforms such as emails you know if we go back in time you know, we used to be reading writing arithmetic with a fundamental and that's mm. basically maths and English. Uh, is that fun- those fundamentals still apply? Is it now the focus should be on maths and communication or analytical thinking and communication? What's the, the ground rules that should underlie education? I think um, my experience is that a school that has a clear, defined approach where all the teachers, the leaders and the students are on the same page about whether it is those core skills they're going for or whether it is a more holistic approach and then they're trying to get kids uh, to see where they want to go themselves. As long as you stick to one of those, you'll be able to achieve success for your students and the students will come out with the skills they need, etc. But if you, say, muddy the waters a bit and you do a little bit of one and a little bit of the other, you don't really focus down and pick one approach to... to put your time and energy into that's where we end up losing students because they get mixed messages one teacher's focusing on those core skills and other teachers going to be focusing on the um, lifelong learning ability for example and then the kids are a bit lost so I think in my opinion as a young teacher that yes there is a developing sense that there is a lot of things that we can teach or students can learn on their own when they need to when it's applicable it's more relevant maybe to be making sure that they understand the interplay between context and knowledge and the interdisciplinary nature of it rather than specific things to learn for a test or for an exam. So are you saying that teachers should become coaches rather than teachers? I definitely think I do a lot more coaching than I do teaching these days. I definitely do a lot more uh, supporting than giving of learning, if that makes sense. There's a lot more in, I think, nowadays pedagogy, modern pedagogy, where you are enabling students to develop their own learning pathway and then supporting them rather than um, disseminating and just giving them the information. It's a lot less direct. So the kids these days smarter or just the same or we've got the opportunity to give them lots more opportunities in their learning outcomes now? I I think... um, if we look psychologically speaking students are the same but their interests are different the way they interact with the world is different and I think if we don't take advantage of those changes then we're, we're doing them a disservice you know like the whole idea about not using phones in schools and, and removing them I think is uh, a bit where people are trying to come up with a one-stop solution rather than actually having a full-on conversation and, and finding a, a real pathway to solve that problem. Curly question the focus on girls in STEM over and above boys sometimes. It's a tricky one 2018 we had a team horizon that went to the world finals and that was the team I took there and they were successful and they won and throughout it all um, we had other teams that were all girls also um, in Australia around the world and the media would not play fairly with our team the boys because it just wasn't as good a story and I think that 
there are times when we do definitely slightly over promote girls in, in STEM but at the same time personally I feel that it is our responsibility to do so so while it does sometimes get a bit out of whack and you know the students would say to me we've tried to work really hard with these media outlets and they just don't pick up our story but you know the girls next door they just immediately get picked up with the story and it's all over the front page and we've been on the sixth page instead and how does this feel fair in the world I think that there's a long history of disadvantage that we're trying to overcome and so these these opportunities these platforms definitely should still be used to to promote girls in STEM but these difficulties and problems we're trying to overcome are they not the problems of us as adults not of the kids I see as a teacher all the time actually the hardest person to overcome in getting girls engaged with this stuff is the parents yeah because the kids from a younger age are super engaged with these STEM opportunities but then when parents go to subject selection counselling for example and there's a list of opportunities in front of them and they go and this is an experience I've had oh well wouldn't you want to do you know your nursing or your child care studies or what about the food and textile class to to a young girl who actually really loves science you just have to sit back and go you know well I don't suggest that because the interests are here and pigeonholing the, the child a bit so yeah I definitely think there's a culture that needs to shift and there's a responsibility of, of um, everybody in this environment to, to have that conversation my perception is that kids don't they don't know the difference it's only when us adults get involved that we mess up their perspectives on life and because I think if they're driven uh, intrinsically mm-hmm. they make the decisions mm-hmm. that, that fit with them and yeah. that they're happy with and they're, they're engaged with I think um, often yeah by putting our noses in it we do kind of trip people up at the same time I think you know at the moment we're pushing um, some segregated classes where the boys and the girls are split up and the reason for that is the feedback we were getting was uh, girls didn't want to do a subject because they felt like they wouldn't they'd be the only one in there that was a girl and so by making sure that there was two classes one that was only running if there was enough girls they could safely choose it and then if it ran they'd know that there would be more than one girl in the class so is that working yeah it, it's open the conversation at the least and so far the class looks to run for the first time in about six or seven years so do you then migrate them back together i think that's the end goal because the impetus behind this wasn't to try and create a boys versus girls environment it was to try and open the conversation and try and broach the topic when sometimes that's quite hard to do given our experience with their of schools i think that i see that all the teams that do well always have boys and girls in them it's a mixed yeah. uh, cross-gendered environment yeah. and, and they are the ones that excel above all others We've got two teams at the moment that are one boy team and one girl team and um they're in different competitions so they couldn't have merged but they definitely probably lack a little bit of insight into how the other half thinks at that younger age and so you know when you're talking about social media or marketing and you're trying to pitch your brand the the teams that have um, co-gender they definitely have an advantage the, the world of stem have gone from being not known or not understood and now everybody's an expert in stem one might say and mm. and i see a, a tendency for stem which is originally there to bring together silos of education becoming mm-hmm. somewhat of a game and being stolen by you know the science go and think it's all about science or the maths go and think it's all about maths i mean mm-hmm. what's your perception of the impression of stem or, or how stem is being treated yeah, I've seen some really good examples of it and I've seen some other examples where it's a kit that's been bought off the shelf and it's run in one classroom and doesn't go any further than that. There is that risk when things like this come out with lots of funding, especially in South Australia. We had a big STEM grant process a few years ago. There was a lot of people that jumped on the bandwagon um, that maybe weren't really understanding the core principle behind it. Um, and so with that, I think there's a risk that we do lose sight of the overall goals of trying to really engage that transdisciplinary knowledge base. Given that you're at Brighton where there was a lot of cross-cultural, cross-subject work, how is that happening in your new school or is that a, dip, that's a task that you've got to overcome to get other teachers engaged um, across the boundaries? Yeah, it's. Um, I've only been there for a short period of time, a couple of months now, and um, we're definitely looking, especially with the Year 7s coming, 
coming at that curriculum overview level of whether or not we bring some subjects together so that they can benefit from the errors of each other. You know, you're looking at designing a science experiment and then building that experiment within technologies and then taking that to maths to analyse the data out of it. And that learning opportunity you can't do if you're completely siloed. And you can't do it very easily, as we've talked about before, in that very regimental uh, line structure that most schools have. So um, it's a it's a conversation. What will happen, I'm not sure. We're, we're kind of at the middle of the the road at the moment looking at that plan but hopefully hopefully we'll see something like that develop so the blockage is the teachers not the students <laughs> i think it's impetus and energy i mean that in the nicest sense as yes well. <laughs> i know yes well i think it's a mixed bag isn't it because the schools are set up and built in that d- dynamic and it takes a lot of energy and resources fundamentally to overcome resources that some schools just don't have is that one of the resources the passion of the principal i think it's the culture of the school for sure yeah. is definitely key i think um time allocated for people to actually redevelop how they've been teaching because if you've been teaching the same way for 20 years, the expectation to suddenly jump ship and do something different, it's very hard to overcome. You need to support people who may be very good practitioners and experts in their field to be able to make that change. So a final question. If you were to talking back to the young Finn mm-hmm. or talking to somebody, a young teacher or mm-hmm. whatever, what's the kind of advice that you would give them generally about becoming a teacher or getting involved in education or STEM or whatever? Find your passion, as I said to my students. Find what you love and then just run with it and live every day as your best day. Too simple. Mm. Well, thanks very much, Finn. I think uh, um, it's an amazing perspective on being a teacher now that Finn has gone through from being a student right through to now um, being a teacher. And uh, I thank you for um, coming online and having a chat with everybody. Thanks very much. Thanks.